truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live at On Demand on Blaze TV, radio, podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Totters and Aaron McIntyre here as well. 888-933-93 is the number. Here at The Blaze, you can also email us to let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We've got a short week this week. We're out of here tomorrow and Monday because Aaron needs major surgery. He's getting his wisdom teeth removed, right? All four of them. All four of them. Thoughts and prayers, bro. Thoughts and prayers. And I think you're going to need it from everything I've heard from people that have had to have that happen. You know, uh, the good news is, is that I'll have my codeine or Percocet by the time the uh, Iowa-Wisconsin game rolls around. So I won't remember any of that. Great. So you'll be opioid addicted as well when we return next week. Indeed. That'll be great. You'll have fewer teeth and be opioid addicted. So next Tuesday should be lit. All right. So a lot coming up here uh, on the show uh, on our final day before we take a long weekend. Uh, Timothy Carney from the Washington Examiner is going to join us here at the bottom of the hour and give his view on Tuesday's election results and what they may or may not mean for 2020. Theology Thursday, a good correction or slash clarification from one of our listeners. I want to make sure that uh, I the, a point I was making about the sovereignty of God last week. We don't take it to an extent that I did not intend. So we're going to clarify that coming up a little bit bit later on. Uh, and then we'll have three non-political questions. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron with wisdom teeth still there with a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a Sessions Resurgence. Jeff Sessions is reportedly set to run for Senate again in Alabama. This comes after he gave up his Senate seat to be the attorney general after President Trump won the election in 2016. What followed was a slew of mean words from Donald Trump for Sessions' supposed lack of action in the Mueller special counsel and one of the most emasculating sound bites of all time. You've seen the president's criticism of you. Do you think it's fair? Well, um... It's kind of hurtful. President Trump rallied in Louisiana yesterday and welcomed up a surprise appearance from Blaze TV's Phil Robertson. I got it it down to this. If you're pro-God and pro-America and pro-gun and pro-duck hunting, that's all I want. A federal judge somehow struck down a new Trump administration rule allowing doctors and clinicians to refuse to provide abortions on moral or religious grounds. An update on the ABC Epstein cover-up bombshell from earlier this week. According to New York Magazine's Yashir Ali, the former ABC News employee who dug up the footage of Amy Robach discussing her frustration with the network over the lack of interest in the Epstein story, went on to work for CBS News recently. After the employee was identified this week by ABC, CBS then fired the individual. A new Quinnipiac poll of the Iowa caucuses shows Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, and Bernie Sanders leading the pack in that order. Joe Biden is in fourth, according to the poll, with 15%. DNC chairman Tom Perez discussed yesterday why his party had so much success in the recent Virginia elections. So I actually think the extreme party in America right now is the Republican Party, and that's why we've been winning elections, because independent and moderate voters 
and Lincoln Republicans have been voting for Democrats. Bill Gates discussed Elizabeth Warren's proposed wealth tax. I've uh, paid over $10 billion in taxes. I've paid more uh, than anyone in taxes. Uh, but I, you know, I'm glad to have paid, you know, if I'd had to pay $20 billion, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, when you say I should pay $100 billion, okay, then I'm starting to do a little math. Have you ever talked to Elizabeth Warren about anything before? I've not. Would you? Would you want to? You know, I'm not sure how open-minded she is. Uh, uh, or that she'd even be willing to sit down with somebody, you know, who has uh, large amounts of money. Kamala Harris says Russian interference in U.S. elections is racist. The Russians decided to target populations that they knew would create tension and then in, in effect cause people to be, lack confidence in our election system and suppress the vote. And they targeted the black community. Learning Russian today, today's phrase is Mother Russia is an equal opportunity vote suppressor. Matushka Russia, подавитель голосования за равные возможности. A note on a video used during a recent montage of Joe Biden supposedly talking to a screen. Apparently, Biden was on a peninsula on a stage and talking to people behind him or something. So let the record show that. Come on, man. Come on. Popular Christian comedian John Christ has canceled his remaining 2019 tour dates following allegations of sexual misconduct. Women's stories about manipulation, harassment, and sexting from the comedian were written about recently in Charisma News. And finally, we do not deserve NFL play-by-play radio announcer Kevin Harlan. He did this recently after a cat appeared on the field at a recent Monday night football game. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW, people who get it now, a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends and partners over at Keeps who know that losing your hair sucks. But did you know uh, what the cause of your hair loss may be? It's a hormone called DHT. Thankfully, the FDA has approved uh, two hair treatment products that help control your DHT and prevent hair loss. Even been known to re-trigger hair growth uh, in, in a good number of men as well. And up until now, though, these products were very expensive and required a doctor visit, but not anymore. Keeps offers you the generic versions of these two FDA-approved hair products. So not only are they about 90% effective, they're also now totally affordable, and you don't even get off your couch to get started. All right, answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you, and then it's shipped discreetly to your door. So if you're tired of losing your hair, we got you today a free online doctor consult. That's right, a free online doctor consult and 50% off your first order. Yes, get 50% off your first order right now. If you go to keeps.com slash grow, keeps.com slash grow. Again, 50% off your first order at keeps.com slash grow. Let's get to the montage. First of all, um, it was one of our listeners that alerted us to an, a potential Aaron was unable to completely verify that that's what was happening. But there appears to be some credible dispute that Joe Biden was not talking to the screen, but to, as Aaron described, the peninsula. One of our list, our viewers here at Blaze TV alerted us to this. And and that's why we went ahead and uh, put the, the uh, correction in there. In the future, if you guys, I, I hope this goes without saying, but if we get something wrong here on this show, or you think we do, let us know.
you know, and if we can verify we got it wrong, uh, we will correct it. All right. So I wanted to thank one of our viewers for pointing that out to you us. You mean like our Kamala Harris takes? Yes. Can we just say right now, that's the worst take of my career. <laughs> I'm just going to say it right now. I mean, be, between listening to me and then working with me, you have been at least somewhat familiar with about what the last 15 years of my work. Is that accurate? Oh, yes. If I had a worse take than that? Well, it was mine, too. I know you haven't had... I know. Well, you, I know you have not had a worse take than that. I know you haven't. I, I, but in I the said, last 15 yeah. years, if I had a worse take than when I thought this summer she might well, be the best candidate they had. I, I, I don't want to believe... I can't think of one, and I don't want to believe there if is there ha, if I ha, Yes. If, in fact, at my age now, if I have had a worse take, please don't remind me. Well, I, I'm not sure that my faltering ego and testosterone levels at this point... I don't think there's enough... Um, one of those, you know, 57 supplements that's on every podcast that I listen to that gets advertised. Like, uh, what's the Frank, Nugenics, the one that Frank Thomas is in. Have you guys seen those ads? Okay. I don't think they sell enough Nugenics at GNC for me to recover from one of you confronting me with the knowledge I've had a worse take than the one on Kamala Harris. I am just going to say that's my basement. And whether it is or not, I have to just accept that. I, I, I don't think I'll be able to perform on the air for you if I think it's possible for me to suck more than I did with that take. Can we just all agree as dudes and just move on? Moving on. And we never, ever, ever, ever speak of that take ever again. In fact- Which I, take? Exactly. And, and I think the dude code, we need to consult that during the break. Is it okay for us to go into our Twitter accounts, do an advanced search- for everything we've ever said about Kamala Harris and just scrub it. Is that okay? Fair enough. All right, thank you. Let's move on. Um, the John Christ story, I have posted this on our Facebook page. And I mean, this work by Charisma News, I, it, it might be the most extraordinary Christian yeah. journalism I have ever read. Fully sourced people Here's. on the record. John Christ himself puts out a statement. Says not, not, he says not all of these allegations he thinks are specifically true, but the, the gist of them, the paradigm that is put forth, he says is true. And there's just the right amount of accountability, transparency, and just enough mercy. All right, we don't condemn people, um, but we, you know, we don't. That's not our job. So there's just the right amount of mercy uh, extended to John Christ if he is willing to accept it. I, I just, I mean, I, if you want to know what it looks, what what you know, Holy Spirit led journalism looks like. That that piece at Charisma News. I know you read through it all as well, Aaron, your and thoughts. That's kind of the gist that I got as well. I mean, I, I'm always torn in, in situations like this about, well, this guy is is responsible for this and accountable for this. And so I don't want to make rash generalizations uh, about this. But that's kind of the notion that I got as well. With a lot of Me Too journalism, even if it's true, it seems like a lot of gotcha, a lot mm -hmm. of flipping the bird um, on the way out the door, you know, but it didn't have that tone. It was it was disturbing and it was it was very, uh, you know, hard to read, especially for somebody like that, who I, I know a lot of people have enjoyed his work over the years. But I do agree that there was a right amount of, like you said, accountability without the uh, and the horse you rode in on. Right. Uh, if, if you get the gist. And, and what does that look like? I mean, First of all, he has to be held accountable for his actions. He has to show that he is fully repentant of those actions. Yep. And then there has to be consequences for those actions. So when we talk about m the right amount of mercy, we're not talking about an even equal. You're absolved. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about that. But, it, but it's th the idea that it was extended rather than we just bury you forever. 
All right. The idea that it was extended because and before it's extended, you you read through the women he has hurt. You read through the women that have left the church over the way he's hurt them and the way they've seen it covered up over the years. I mean, there is a full vetting of what he has uh, what he has purported and by his own admission, to some extent, been a part of. And this guy right now is one of the most successful comedians, not just Christian comedians, comedians, period. He's got a in the country special coming yep. out. Supposedly. He's selling out yeah. arenas all over America right now. So, I mean, that and the and you can even hear Charisma News is heartbreaking as they're writing this. You can almost hear that in the tone as you're reading through it. So um, a terrible story told, though, in an extraordinary fashion. And if you what's what does what does a full completion of Matthew 18 look like? You know, when you talk, start talking about accountability within the church. That piece at Charisma News, I think, is an excellent example. And again, it's posted on our Facebook page if you want to go and read it for yourself. I think Jeff Sessions getting into the Alabama race will be a fascinating test case for President Trump because this is a guy that, during the course of his time in the Senate, was good on the issues that Trump is the most vociferous on, uh, but of course was was hugely disappointing to the president for reasons that some you, some of you may think are not legit and other others of you may think are but what's what's not in dispute is that the president was 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 not enamored with the performance he got from attorney general Jeff Sessions is that in dispute no no and you you have to believe Jeff Sessions at his age is not getting back in to politics unless he thinks it's pretty likely he is going to be the republican nominee that that because this has been rumored for months so you have to assume that Sessions has been doing his due diligence running numbers He's lined up support within the, the state party. Um, and, and so you have to think now he's an overwhelming favorite to be the GOP nominee, unless does Trump, is this another case like a Mark Sanford where Trump throws some weight around behind another candidate in the race? Um, or does he just let it play out and then just support whoever the people nominate in the process? I, I will be fascinated to see how Donald Trump reacts to the news that Jeff Session is running again. And then there's the prospect that perhaps begrudgingly uh, the White House has signed off on it, which is why Sessions agreed to even get back in in the first place. Maybe because I could also see the Jeff Sessions we saw as attorney general was not the rabble rouser we saw in the no. Senate. All right. So I, I could see the passive aggressive attorney general session say, I'm only getting I'm not getting into this. And if, if Trump's going to dunk on me all over again, you know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of hurtful. Yes. Yeah. I think now that I'm playing this out in my own head live on the air in real time, that's your most likely scenario. Don't you guys think? I'm glad you can be fascinated about this because I, this is. You don't care anymore, well, I, Phil I Collins. Was, I was. <laughs> why, why, I mean, I get the, the political. I'm, I'm I, I more man. fascinated with I, it more than anything else, okay? I didn't intend to spend 10 minutes on this. I, I, I am just fascinated with the I, dynamic. I just, before you say what you're going to say, Todd, when I was sending the rundown to you and Steve of what's in the montage, uh, I, I, I went to where you are right now. Yeah, I'm just like single tier. Like, yeah. Uh, God, dear God, why? <laughs> All right, so while he's humming Smokey Robinson's Tears of a Clown over here, let's move on. Um, a federal judge can, does not have the power to block your conscience. Yeah, right? he does. No, he does not. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't. Everybody believes it, so he does. Yeah. The White House does have the power to give you and, conscience, you know. And no one does anything about it, so. Yeah, that, the, the White House does have the power to protect your conscience. But no, no force on earth has the power to block your conscience. You are never to do, you and I are never to do things that God says is wrong because government told us to. And if you want to know, if you want to know why 
St. Peter was hung upside down. John was, was, was boiled in oil. Why other disciples and apostles and, and church fathers were skinned alive. And almost all of them were martyred except John. They kept trying to kill him. He was the Rasputin of the bunch. They tried to kill him numerous times. And finally, when Caesar had had enough of trying to kill this, uh, uh, this pest, he just banished him to an island to die alone. All right? So if you want to know really what it was that all of them were martyred and, then, and or, in John's case, abandoned for, it was because they refused to allow government to block their conscience. Government cannot block your conscience. Right? You are not to commit murder or do anything else God says is wrong because government compels you to. You, are to, you and I are to obey God and not man. And we are to fear not the one who can merely destroy the body because there will be consequences for this. And in extreme cases in, in the history of the church, we have seen your life can be one of, those, one of those consequences. So there will be consequences. Caesar is not just going to show up on Polycarp's uh, door and say, you know what, we'll let this one slide because you're a good taxpayer. Caesar's not going to do that. Okay? Not going to happen. There's going to be a reprisal. Going to lose a job, a relationship, singled out. And, you know, if you have a society that deteriorates into totalitarianism, your life will be at stake. So be it. Your Lord gave his life for you. You are to be willing to die daily for him, especially with the promise of eternity from the one who gave his life for you, awaiting you if you do. We are to not fear the one who can merely destroy the body, but the one who can destroy the body while also casting the soul into hell. God is the ultimate authority. These judges may believe they are gods, but they are not. So I just want to make that really clear. We don't do things God says is wrong because government told us to. If we do things God says is, are wrong because government told us to, whom are we really treating as God, therefore? Government. All right? So if government is God, obey government. If God is God, obey, obey him. Choose ye this day. And as I've been warning you for years, the good news is if you're not sure where you stand on this, you're going to find out because everyone's going to be forced to make this choice. We're seeing more and more cases like this. There will be more and more opportunities for you to find out which side you're really on. Merry Christmas. It is in less than 50 days now, by the way, and Is it okay now? Less than 50 days now. Is it okay? It depends. Right? Situation. It's 48 days. 48 days until Christmas. Hmm. Right? We were talking, we were celebrating the football season 48 days out of football season. Think it's okay to mention Christmas? Okay. <laughs> you can mention Christmas. Can I fire him? Yes. You're fired. Yes. Um, I have many followers. Don't believe. <laughs> at this point, just just don't believe anything ABC News and CBS News reports about anything. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I just I wouldn't believe anything they report about anything. I, I, I don't. And if you do, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I mean. That's your stupid if, tax. If, if you were on fire and you knew you were on fire and ABC News told you you were on fire. I'm going to need you... a second or third source. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to need someone else to verify that for me. Eyewitness account more than likely. All right. Um, this, the story from what Project Veritas released is shunning and firing the whistleblower. And I'm using that phrase and word on purpose. The, it's about getting rid of the whistleblower rather than getting to the truth. And there's just, this is just out in broad daylight and it's shameless. And I, I don't know, 
you know what? I don't want them used as sources on our shows. I mean, I don't know why we would believe them. I, I just don't on any level. You know, so to me, I think you treat them like a CNN or any, or, or any other entity like that. It's just not a legitimate news agency. And for ABC, this is, this is chronic. I mean, two weeks ago, they were, they were showing Northern Kentucky gun sites, gun ranges as Syrian bombings. I mean, we, they have made numerous, numerous mistakes of intergalactic scale. But they do have vigorous editorial standards. Yes, yes, they do. Vigorous editorial standards in making sure the narrative and propaganda that is pre-approved gets presented to you. That's what that means. You know, and if, if we're running out of new sources, I don't know what to tell you. That's not my fault. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Has somebody been fired over at Fox yet? Has Marie Harf or Steve Hilton been fired at Fox yet? Do you know? Are they both still working there? That by now. Okay, I mean, yeah, I mean, so on Fox, so on Fox, you have Steve Hilton accusing Marie Harf of being in on uh, the corruption that uh, Obama, Biden were involved in in Ukraine. Marie Harf said she was not, and there is was no such corruption. That's not like a light. Is that a light charge to you, Todd? No, no. That's. I mean, I mean, it, it can't be a light charge. We're impeaching the current president over these kinds of allegations right now, right? Isn't this? Isn't this? What the, what the narrative is for why we have to go through for the third time or fourth time in American history and impeachment is over the narrative, this narrative with the current president, right? Yes. So if we're going to accuse the former president of this, it's, it's certainly, this is not a frivolous charge. Doesn't mean it's true. I'm not saying it's true, but it's not frivolous. And the fact that over at Fox, no one seems interested in figuring out, you know, who was right and who was wrong. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You know, I, I don't know where to go for real news. And maybe you can't go anywhere anymore and maybe you just have to come up with three or four different narrative different uh, sources of narratives and see if their facts align and then just kind of make up your mind from there yeah right i mean if i told you right now hey what's your go-to right now to know and you may not like what they're saying but you know they're going to give it to you straight who is it a ouija board <laughs> yeah that's as good a shot as any cow you take your chances with captain howdy are you it's as good as chances as any all right but in all serious where would you go where would you go right now this well this there isn't one this is why you have to have this smorgasbord that i know and you let me and clarify I this have, so I, I mean people that are producing news we produce content at the blaze we don't produce news all right we, we meaning that our primary for all of us, regardless of, you know, whether it's Eric Bowling, you know, who's total MAGA, the Steve Day show, who's MAGA skeptical. OK, regardless of what, where we're at on this on the MAGA spectrum, our, no one here's primary duty is the is the investigation and creation of news as an information. We are a commentary outlet correct correct and so with all of us are uh, to some extent i would assume trying to come up with the the most accurate information to to make our commentary but we're not we're not a a hard news entity that's not what we do all right and so if you're looking for someone that just gives you the hard news where do you go do you know where you go no i don't either and the places you think you can go are really the ones that you should be most skeptical about as i said with jake tapper you know we we tried so hard to anoint i did 
I ones, did, yeah. and they're not, no, they're the ones who hire, they, they got the biggest scam going. Yeah, I mean, the last step for me with Tapper was the whole thing with the Sheriff Israel town hall, and, and what he what he put uh, Rubio and especially Dana Lash through, where she barely got out of there with her life, and then he's the one that later on exposes that Sheriff Israel was a scam and lied that entire time, but then later in the year had no problem accepting an award on behalf of CNN for the total sham town hall they did in the first place. I just can't excuse stuff like that. Okay, so, um, yeah, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man may be king, but he, he remains uh, partially or legally blind, nevertheless. Now that Iowa poll out of uh, Quinnipiac, that's a disastrous poll for Joe Biden. When, I, when, I, when I've been telling you this whole cycle, we don't have a national primary, okay? We don't. We just don't. And so it's not relevant, they don't, it doesn't, if you don't live in Iowa, New Hampshire, I guess in the, on the Democratic side, California begins mail balloting in, in January or February, I, I read today. Okay, so we'll throw them in, all right? Even if, even if that's not quite right, I'll be, I'll be as generous as I can be. If you don't live in Iowa, New Hampshire, and let's assume the, that, that story I, I, or anecdote that I read today, that California has uh, motor mail-in balloting for its primary, which is on Super Tuesday this year, this cycle, as early as in January. Let's, I'll even throw them in, okay? If you don't live in one of those three states, provided that California information is correct, your opinion of the Democratic candidates is, is irrelevant. It's just completely irrelevant. Because, because you're being asked to assess a field that when the process gets to you will not be the actual field. And therefore, there will be jockeying Candidates will, will rise, they will fall, they will fall out. So your opinion's irrelevant. A, a, a national, prime. this is just to produce, we just do these to produce content for media people to talk about. And I'm dead serious. You, you don't learn anything out of this. And in this cycle, the Democratic Party is using this to try to control who gets on the stage. See that as to try to get rid of Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> <laughs> they keep trying, but she's got this pesky two to three percent and they can't get rid of this woman. All right. Um, if Joe Biden finishes anywhere close to that on February 3rd in Iowa, he is he is done. In fact, I, I, I could put, I could I could very well argue if he's polling and this isn't the only poll where he has pulled this poorly yep. in Iowa recently. All right. So this has been a trend line. I, I could argue that if that's his trend line as we speak going into the fourth quarter here. What is today? November the 7th. So the Iowa caucuses, Christmas is 48 days away. The caucuses are on February 3rd. That's another three days. So 51, 30 days in January gets us to 82. Yep. So the Iowa caucuses are 82 days away. And he walked in here. We were talking about him in national polls. He was in the 40 percentile back in May and June, right? So you are the anointed national polling front runner. And in the state where you have been the most exposed, because you cannot run ads and win Iowa. You have to retail politic here. It's a caucus process. It's very relational. So when you've been out on the road, and by the way, we're one of the oldest states in the union. So if you're Joe Biden and you, can, you can't do better than mid-teens in Iowa, you know, the, 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 the voter, even with a caucus process, the voter block is older here than New Hampshire, South Carolina, pretty much everywhere you're going to go after this in the process. This, these ought to be your peeps, man. Peeps who remember when Democrats, you know, didn't hate America, right? If you, can't, if you can't organize here, I don't know where you go to organize. 
If he finishes anywhere close to that, he's done. And I could argue the fact that he's even polling there 82 days out as the presumed front runner. And, and you can, because you can also see, here's what you can also see in those numbers. Pete Buttigieg's numbers, again, are largely the same. They've gone up a couple of points from the last time we talked, but they're largely the same. Elizabeth Warren has crescendoed. And Bernie Sanders is still flailing poorly in Iowa. Why is that relevant to Joe Biden? You're not taking advantage of any of that. Your numbers, your numbers are imploding while those other things are going on. So you know what that tells me? If I'm working on that campaign, we've been weighed, measured, and found wanting. People have definite have reservations about the rest of the field. But you're not, as you once put it, Todd, you're no longer the safety school they go to when they're not sure about everybody else. That, that tells me they've rendered their verdict on you, is what that tells me. I think it's a really bad sign when you're, th- when you're, when you're a name like Joe Biden with high name ID, you're this close to the first, the first verdict on how your campaign is doing, and you don't know what your floor is. Yes. That's I would have never sign. even even we thought it was 25. Yeah, I even months, even like three months ago when I when I predicted that the most likely outcome given this trend line was Elizabeth Warren as the nominee, I would have told you that his floor was 25, maybe low 20s at the most. All right. But if you sit if you're sitting there in the mid teens, 82 days out, I don't know what your floor is now. And now you start, you know, who this reminds me of Fred Thompson. <laughs> Is what it reminds me of. Now, Thompson didn't really campaign, never really put an organization together, but all the the huge media and and the huge front runner national polling status, and then people got a, got an up close look at him on the campaign trail in Iowa, and he absolutely imploded. It's starting to remind me a little bit of that, Todd. That's why I'm sticking with my prediction a month ago. He's out before. He's not going to put himself up for that. He's going to be out before hmm. the actual caucus. We're going to come back and look back at uh, this year's election results and what they may say about next year with Timothy Carney from the Washington Examiner. Next, stay tuned. So if you want to take advantage of plunging mortgage rates in an economy that is still doing pretty well, it's a great time to get involved in the real estate market, especially with winter coming here in the Midwest. Uh, we woke up to some snow on the ground. You know what that means? That means sense of urgency on the rise. Buyers who maybe have been holding out for that one offer now realizing that uh, it, you know less and less people like to move in the winter. And so if they want out, it might be time for them to move on a more competitive offer. Sellers uh, that uh, that also are, are thinking the exact same way. That, that So the timing is great to get involved right now, but before you do it, make sure you do so with a real estate agent that you can trust. Don't take it for granted. Instead, an agent, you want to find one that has been fully vetted with a successful track record, with a knowledge of marketing plans in the particular market that you're buying and or selling in. And then one that understands what the phrase professional courtesy means. Like you don't want an agent who, when you started out, said, hey, I'll do my best, you know, to to not have you, uh, you know, call you at the last minute with a potential buyer and say, we're down the street. Can we come over in 10 minutes? 
and then they they didn't do their best. This is the third time they've done this to you now. Right, you, you want an agent that checks those three boxes, which means you want to find one that's been fully vetted at realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, this is different than other vetting services that are often about helping agents to find clients. This is about finding an agent worthy of having you for a client. So go to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Want to get a perspective on Tuesday's election results and what they may mean for the rest of the country next year. From Timothy Carney, has been on the show several times over the years from the Washington Examiner. Good to see you again, Tim. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me back. So I, reading through your analysis, I agree with much of it. I don't, I don't agree with some, but that's why I wanted to have you on. I mean, if you're going to say all the same things I'm going to say... We just repeat the show we we're going to do yesterday, right? Okay, so I want our audience to get more of a holistic uh, view than necessarily uh, just my, uh, you know, parochial perspective. So let's start with your big picture view, uh, your big picture takeaway and what happened on Tuesday, what it means next year that you wrote about for Washington Examiner. The main thing is that the Donald Trump Republican Party is one that is getting smaller, now, that's not to say Donald Trump is going to lose or he's going to lose some of his voters. But what Donald Trump has done is he has pushed away a lot of the suburban, uh, upper middle class white voters, pushed them out of the Republican Party. So they elected Democrats into to take over the legislature in Virginia. They helped elect Democrats to, to get the governorship there a couple of years ago. Those upper middle class suburban voters, Trump has pushed them away. The people Trump has brought into his own coalition, white working class voters, they are not in turn voting for all Republicans. And so when there are Republicans who struggle, like Matt Bevin, the governor of Kentucky, Trump doesn't have the power to pull them up. All right. That big picture view, I do agree with. All right. Now, here's where I would ask for some clarification. Because I live mm-hmm. in one of those suburbs that the Republicans lost in the midterm elections, all right, where, where, where it was a fairly... Now, when I moved into this suburb 13 years ago, it was a very reliable Republican district. Yep. And then when I started seeing in 2008 and 2012, when I took my kids out to trick-or-treating on Halloween, is the, mm-hmm. is, is the yard signs were pretty even. And so that, that devolution from a GOP perspective was already beginning pre-Trump. Oh, absolutely. You were already seeing Democrats make major inroads into those suburbs. And what I, what we what we have seen though is Trump's been unable to hold that off and his strategy has been whether intentional or unintentional, but the end result is what you said, which is to replace them with these uh, white working class rural voters, depending on which analysis you look at, anywhere around 6 to 12 million of them voted for Obama once or twice and then voted for him in 2000 and and and, and yep. 16 the reason why i think that's a key point because um if 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 you think i i don't believe trump is the cause for the suburban flight from the from the gop i think he's accelerated it the numbers are obvious yes, that that's true that's exactly. okay but but he's not the cause of this and i i'm i'm very hesitant of analysis and i know that's not where you're coming from tim but there's this mm-hmm. idea that everything was great and fine then trump came up and broke all the all the china when when i think yep. he's here as a result of what's been happening before he arrived he's neither the solution nor the 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 problem itself but what's your take on that I, I think you're I think you're basically right. I mean, I was writing back in 2004 about what I called the choice between white bread and blue collar that Republicans were being forced to make. And one of the things I saw in 2012 was that Romney was trying to desperately 
hang on to being the country club party. And I wrote afterwards, actually, Republicans need to embrace populism. That was a huge part of what I was writing after Romney's failure. He was trying to push away a sort of conservative populism and become the country club party again. And it got him a few more points than, you know, Bush had in 04, than McCain had. He did a little bit better in the what we call the collar counties around Philadelphia or Westchester County or Montgomery County, Maryland, where I live. But it was, and you would agree with this, it was him fighting a losing battle that Republicans did have to do some sort of embrace of populism in order to A, stay relevant and B, sort of see what what a real conservatism demanded. So I agree. And Trump didn't cause this, but he did rapidly accelerate the move of the suburbs towards uh towards the democrats and i would argue that he he's done so a bit unnecessarily through his uh more his demeanor and his words than through his actions yeah i mean what he hasn't right i mean that we do what you just did is is a tug of war we have we do on our show here almost every single day is what you just described is that very tug of war i agree with that yeah um what what trump hasn't done is he hasn't successfully sort of re made the Republican Party as a conservative populist party. I agree with that, too. Yeah. He himself is bringing in these white working class voters almost just through picking the right fights and having the right enemies. A better foundation would be going out and saying, hey, guys, how about we don't care about tax cuts for the rich if we're Republicans, but we do care about tax cuts for the working class and the middle class. How about we go ahead and make sure that our public schools are, are good and not in the grips of these teachers unions and we make that be a priority. I would want them to see a real coherent conservative populism. Then other Republicans would get those white working class votes. Yes. Right now Trump is the only Republican getting those votes. That's it's because Tim there is no Trumpism. There's just Trump as a personality. And yes. and if you if you think that um because he's an outsider, he's so independently wealthy, he can't be tied down to K Street corporate interests, the GOP donor class. And so he'll say and do things you'd never get a typical Republican to do. And there is certainly evidence that that is the case. You're all in and you mm-hmm. love it. All right. But he's not leaving behind. And, and this is something we've talked about on our, on our show a lot as well. In fact, this just came up yesterday. I mean, if you look at what's happened in Virginia, which predates Trump. I, and and yep. this this goes to you know you've got you know this goes to the whole Cuccinelli thing and and the lieutenant governor that didn't want to endorse him because he was butt hurt that yep. they changed the primary to a convention and all that uh, this is this is the same establishment versus grassroots fight that GOP's been having since Reagan left basically and and Virginia's yep. kind of been ground zero of this well if you look at the way that uh, that a lot of the 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 traditional GOP has responded to the demographic changes there as as government has grown the more Democrat uh, voters have moved in they've responded by let's continue to move further left let's you know the that's a bob mcdonald's and the largest tax increase ever you know let's let's nominate mitt romney kind of senate candidates and and this creates division within their own uh within their own grassroots at the same time because trump has not done what you said and what i what i would love for him to do okay and instead let's get rid of mark sanford who's a real reliable trump voter on issues because i don't like what he says about me personally that's kind of and replace him with a with a total country club yep. puke republican by the way okay because he's done yep. stuff like that all the same battles that i think a lot of people thought were settled when trump won the nomination when he leaves 
These things are going to all come flooding right back to the surface, Tim, because nothing's been settled. It's just Trump himself defied the system, but he's left no... It's not Reagan leaving an alternative movement conservative to to the GOP before he arrived, and that lasts for 20 years after he leaves. There's just Trump. And so when he leaves, all these people are going to be looking around and thinking, well, what do we do now? And and the old GOP is going to be saying, oh, I know. We're going to party like it's 2009. That's what we're going to do. And and all these issues are going to come back to the forefront, I believe. Yeah, no, they'll know uh, Trump is leaving us sort of a list of who to hate. Yes. And it's, you know, and and most of them are people who really do deserve scorn or institutions that do. But he's not leaving us sort of a set of policies is a big part of it. I mean, he's not even going to if get his wall built. And if he does, then sort of what next? And, there, so, and that said, in his defense at the examiner on the opinion page, um, after Trump won, we said we were surprised by this. What does it tell us about our country, about the Republican Party, about conservatism that we didn't understand? And we realized that there needed to be more articulation of, of a nationalism. And we had to say federal policy should serve the people of the U.S. So that's foreign policy. Don't fight wars in the name of some vision of what the globe should look like. Mm-hmm. Don't pass immigration policy to help the Chamber of Commerce. Instead, pass it to help the people who are here, the everyday people. So there have been ways in which I think Trump's win has helped conservatism try to think about bigger ideas and, and different ideas. And we had been thinking about it from after Reagan until 2016. But it really hasn't been uh, formed into a coherent whole. And the political points I make in my column and that I made after the midterm elections is to say, look at Michigan. Michigan, you had all these counties, 12 counties, swing from voting for Obama to voting for Trump. And you had almost every other county move dramatically in the Republican direction, you know, compared to how Mitt Romney did. But almost all of those counties swung way back to the Democratic governor candidate and uh, et cetera in 2018 in Michigan. Why? Because, again, Trump is able to make Trump voters out of white working class independents and Democrats. He has not made them into Republicans. So the things that need to happen are the Republican Party needs to adapt, but Trump needs to give a roadmap that isn't simply be Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's happening is because he hasn't done that. The old swampy Republican Party is sitting there basically lying in wait, waiting for him to leave. Yep. And, and they're going to we're going to they're going to say, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to rehire every Paul Ryan consultant that's been laughed out of town. And we're going right back to that line of GOP. That's what that's what I keep warning my audience about. If he doesn't pick more of these internal fights like what we're talking about or provide yep. more of an, of an internal roadmap, you're going to think you beat these guys and they're going to come back with a vengeance thinking that this was just a temporary tantrum and there's no path forward. So we're going to do it with more, you know, traditional GOP, small P progressivism. Tim, that's what we're going Yeah, do you remember after 2012, Mitt Romney, sort of the embodiment of this country club republicanism, loses and the Republican Party comes out with its autopsy. Right. And the autopsy says, so we've really considered the fact and what we decided we need is more capital gains tax, less talk about abortion, uh, more immigration, mm-hmm. more global free trade, and yeah. more subsidies for big businesses. It's like, this is what you've always wanted, and you've got your guy, and now you're pretending that we didn't have enough of that? Right. And so I think you're right. that I'm, I'm glad Trump you brought up Romney. Like, 
Romney's a great example. So Romney is irritating them on a daily basis now. All right. You've got Don Jr. You've been dunking on Romney as his favorite Democrat on CBS News the other day, which I laughed out loud when I saw, by the way. But there was a primary there. Right. He's got Mm -hmm. the power of the White House. Romney was not the only candidate running in that race. He's got the power of the White House. He could have found someone there more friendlier to his agenda rather than just sit back, let the process play itself out, then endorse Romney, congratulate him, and now have him as a burr in his saddle all the time. Isn't that an example of what we're talking about here? Where where are we going with any of this? Yeah, so he doesn't, um, and Obama had the same problem, right? Obama couldn't convey any of his political uh, strength to anybody else. He didn't help his party. His party lost thousands of seats while he was in power. Stumping for candidates didn't actually help them. He could help them raise money but behind closed doors, but that was about it. Trump doesn't have the ability to do that. He hasn't shown he might have he might have some coattails when he's on the ballot in 2020. We'll see. But he hasn't shown an ability to help Republicans win. He tried to make sure Roy Moore didn't win that primary in Alabama. He failed. He um, he tried to make sure Matt Bevin could bump from the 45 he was at up to the 49 that he needed. He couldn't do that. And so what you've got is he, Trump just thinks I went out and I talked about myself. And that was enough to help me win. I just need to go out and say this guy's with me, and that will be enough to help them win. Yeah. Voters want something more. They even if the they voter. Love Trump, let's they rephrase don't, that. The if you don't mind, the voters he needs to yeah. grow a base want something more. All right, the voters he already has. That's yeah. all they want. They just want Trump. They want the percent. They want the persona. They want the rallies. They want the riffing. But the voters he needs to grow his base that you're talking about. Those are the ones that want more. Is that what? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and but I also think that again, the people he brought out, some of his base are independents and Democrats who are you know have a populist sentiment. And if he had been, if we've been spending these past four years doing more to build up a sort of coherent nationalism, a coherent sort of free market populism, then you'd be able to have Bevin stand up there and say, "I fought against the lobbyists. Right, I fought against right. the corporate welfare. I did that." And there would be an actual coherent argument and not just a stamp of approval. Well, and the issue with that is he he has spent no political capital uh, uh, to move his own party towards the agenda that won him the election. He just hasn't done any of that. You know, he he outsourced Obamacare repeal to Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. You know, he just keeps, you know, I, he's never, he said he was never going to sign another one of those on the buses again. Then he signs the very next three. Okay. He never leverages his own party to move towards his agenda. And that he, he spends no political capital there. He spends all of his political did, capital did, on Russian collusion in the media. Yeah, he did shut the government down to try to get a wall. Yeah. But it was this clumsy effort that never... And he only did it because happened. because Rush Limbaugh and a bunch of people had had enough and f- basically forced him into a corner. Let's be honest about that. He, was, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't going to shut it down until they finally spoke up and said, will you fight on something, please? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they didn't necessarily know know how to fight. So I, I think it's right. I mean, we when we thought Trump was going to lose the nomination, a, a friend of mine, Michael Brennan Doherty, I mean, we thought he was going to lose... The uh, general election to Hillary, a friend of mine, uh, Michael Doherty, wrote, uh, maybe we can have some sort of Trumpism without Trump, meaning a, a populism, a nationalism without this guy who's not going to win. Well, we were wrong about him not winning, obviously. But so now what you and I are talking about is, can there be a Trumpism that goes beyond one man, a mm-hmm. Trumpism outside of Trump? And that's that I think could be if Trump does end up winning in 2020, that would be, I think, the challenge and the task for the right to say, OK, we're not we don't want to go back to what, 
you know, to Romney and the um, and the autopsy. So we need to make sure that we have a counter argument to what K Street is going to lay out, which is like a whoo, that was fun. Now let's go back to where we were right. before. Right. That's what that's well said. Tim, always good to see you, man. Thanks for joining us, making us think we appreciate it. Thank you. Timothy Carney over there, Washington Examiner. Todd, your thoughts on that conversation? Well, that is exactly what I hoped when I wanted to get him on. I mean, he's more think tanky. Uh, you're from this neck of the woods, but you you both think. I mean, looking at his columns, his reading, you think the same way about the the day the breadcrumbs, the storyline. What does this really, really mean? And there was enough overlap there. I thought the audience could really get a sense of you know, it's it's not that you, we're not complaining about Trump. It's like, but you when you say we. Where was the, where's the tyrant? You know, right. like he's he's a pretty mild mannered guy, Tim Carney. But Tim Carney basically just said the same thing. Like, can you can we see it every once in a while? Again, we my complaints it. with Trump are not the crazy things that he says or pe- the crazy things that he claims to believe. It's it's not acting on those crazy yes. things. I want him to act on them and yes. do something with them. That's my issue. Yeah, I'm I'm I was trying to think of a good football analogy or some good analogy in general about this, and I. And I thought of, if, if you're a fan of college football, especially in this neck of the woods, I think there are some similarities between Nebraska head coach Scott Frost and Donald Trump right now. Because when Scott Frost was brought on at Nebraska, oh boy, this is, this is a guy who is on the rise really fast. I, he, you know, he's going to bring us back to the glory days again. And now it's been, what, three years or two years two now? Years, two yeah. years, 21 games. And they're 8 and 13. Yes. So when you come on and when you give people hope and you're this paradigm changer for, for a, a team that has needed something, that has needed anything really for the last you know, 10 to 15 years maybe, you, you, the expectations are so high and you have to give people a reason to actually believe in you. You're always going to have your hangers on. You're always going to have the people who are just groupies, who remember the 90s, the glory days under Tom Osborne when you let him do a national championship or whatever. But in order to grow and actually give people confidence in what you're doing, you actually have to perform. And in that respect, I think that's kind of the gist of the conversation. You're always going to have the groupies, but if you want to grow, you really got to give people who are looking for something a reason to hope. We'll come back with Hour 2 and some Theology Thursday next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review wherever you choose to podcast from, we would be very grateful because the more of those we get, the more people like you, the algorithms help us to find, and therefore the more likely we are to get to continue to do this for a living. And I think all of us want that. I know the three of us need that, in fact. All right. So thank you to the thousands of you that have left us one of those five-star reviews already. 888-900-3393, Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Theology Thursday is brought to you by our partners over at Swiss America who want to offer you something special today. All right, because we're living in a world full of political uncertainty and financial deception fueled by overvalued stocks and bonds. And these bubbles are going on, not just here in the States, but worldwide as well. There's one exception. 
and that's gold and silver, which have held their value over history better than any other asset class on earth in all of human history. So here's our amazing special offer for you today to help us illustrate our commitment to helping you to protect your financial future. Our partners at Swiss America are practically giving you one of the most precious metal U.S. coins ever minted, offering it way below cost for just $18.50 each delivered while supplies last. Just $18.50 each while supplies last. One of the most popular U.S. silver coins ever minted. All right. Why are they giving this at such a low rate? And why is this one of the most popular uh, U.S. minted silver coins ever? Because it's proven ROI. That's why. And they want you to test them on this and give it a shot for less than 20 bucks. What, what do you have to lose for less than 20 bucks? Call them right now. 1-800-289-2646 for Swiss America. That's 1-800-289-2646. And take advantage of that special offer right now. Let's get to it. Some Theology Thursday, and this is going to be a follow-up to the conversation that we had last week. And just to kind of reset that, uh, guys, if you remember, we got an email from somebody saying, hey, if, if it's revival or bust, should we essentially evacuate from the political arena in order to for lack of a better description, this may be somewhat crude, but make it worse. And, and therefore, when, when people realize how bad it is, that may spur revival. Is that an accurate? Well, I think they even went so far as to say to vote it in, didn't they? As did, a possibility. Did we go yeah. that far? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Regardless, yeah. That was going to be the end result, whether it was a, you right, know, right. Let's, let's eject or let's you know, vote for even more bad stuff in order because embrace the suck is basically yeah, what it that's was. a good, there we go. So we basically should we embrace the suck because it would, it would help to bring the culture more to a breaking point that might spur revival. Right. Yes. And that got us in, there was no way to have that conversation without having one that had some tentacles in terms of your eschatology, because if you have a, an end times view that uh, um, is, is, prevalent in some Reformed denominations, but more so within Catholicism, that's kind of your Augustinian, amillennial, or amillennial view, then you're you're not as prone, if that's your eschatology, to um, reacting even to the extreme cultural devolution, because you're looking at, you're, you're taking more of a different kind of a view, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. if you have more of the uh, the premillennial view that is popular in a lot of American evangelicalism now, your, your alarmism is part of that viewpoint, you know, and yeah. that's part of your understanding of how to correctly understand and read the signs of the times. And so you might take a different view. And then that, that ended up also delving into a conversation about what does the sovereignty of God look like? Because you can't avoid having that conversation. And, and one of the points I made was that in a lot of American evangelicalism today, you are told that your salvation came because you chose, you chose uh, God. And that therefore, if God was basically powerless to save you until you chose him, it, you know, if, if you're starting with that level of, of human initiative and involvement from the very beginning of your faith journey, it, you're going to probably continue on a lot of similar strands the rest of the way, meaning like you invoke the will of God, basically, right? Right. Is that a good summation of last week's episode? Yeah. Well, we got a good email from one of our uh, one of our listeners, Sue Ketchum, 
that uh, I think is a, is a good correction slash clarification. Because I, I want to make sure we don't take what we were trying to say last week too far either, okay? So let me just start with, uh, with Sue's email. She says, last week you read an email uh, and then launched into what turned out to be Theology Friday for your listeners. That's right, because I, was it Theology Friday? Was it a, I thought it was on Theology Thursday. Okay, yeah, she's had the day wrong. Okay, everything you said was solidly, tr- solidly true, but upon reflection, I'm left thinking maybe it was not wholly true. That is, was it the whole truth? I asked that after reading in my devotional book this morning, which began with Acts 12.5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Since I do not have the whole text of the email which, to which you were responding, nor can I now review all that you guys said last week, I'm left reflecting on whether your Pauline discourse on sovereignty may have omitted the concept of the power of prayer. I say all this to challenge you guys to re-examine your response to that email and consider whether there is more to the picture than the solid exhortation that you guys eloquently delivered last week. And the answer, Sue, is yes, there is. Okay? Christianity is not a fatalistic religion. If you want a fatalistic religion, I, have, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. It's one of the most popular religions on the planet right now. It's called Islam. Islam is a very fatalistic religion. Christianity is not a fatalistic religion. I mean, if you begin, you begin your faith with the notion that God raised a dead man to life. You're not a fatalistic religion, okay? And I do believe because I've seen it in my own life and the scriptures are very clear. We can, we can move the heart of God with the power of prayer. Now I want you to pay very close attention to the exact language that I used. Did I say we can move the will of God? Is that what I said? No, no. I said, we can move the heart of God. And that is a very important distinction. For example, if I just, let me, let me give you a a silly example to make my point. Okay. So I can make it as plainly as I possibly could. If I prayed earnestly, God, I really want to hook up with that hot chick. Is it the will of God in my life to debase myself that way? Absolutely not. No. No. So can I move the will of God? No matter how earnestly I pray, I get a whole bunch of other people, they earnestly, you're right, man, she is a, she's a smoke show. We'll join that prayer. We'll even hold hands, <laughs> all right? Can, if we earnestly get together, well, we're two or more are gathered, right? If we earnestly get together, <laughs> okay? And I mean, we're like, dude, we would love for you to score with that too, right? All right, and then tell us about it, tell us about it later. And, that's, and that is our fervent prayer. Can, can we move the will of God in such a way? No. no. God is not going to abandon his character for us. So when Jesus says, whatever you ask for in my name, all right, God will hear and, grant, and or grant. Why is the in my name important? Why, why is that important? Because we can move the heart of God as his children. We cannot alter the will of God. He is God. We are not. Those of us that are parents, if our children come to us and say, meatloaf again tonight. Dad, come on. Can we just order pizza? Now, it is your will as their father to feed and provide for them. Correct? Yes. All right. And 
if you know, there's a particularly good deal, you know, like I try to send you guys those deals out of my inbox when I mm -hmm. get them, for example, right? And you're like, yeah, you know what? We'll swing it tonight. Did they, they didn't change your will. You were going to feed them, correct? Because that right. is your will as their father. But did they move your heart to reconsider? Yeah, you know what? You're right. We, we, don't, we, can, we don't need leftovers or meatloaf again tonight. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. Now, if, you're, if those same adorable children come to you and say, Dad, really? Exercise again today? We were really holding out for crystal meth, Dad. Crystal meth. I mean, it's a metabolic booster. I mean, have you seen those people? They're all really skinny. Can they alter your will as a father to grant them uh, through their request, petition? Will you, will you give them the crystal meth that they are asking for? Will um, you do this? Well, not me, but parenting is kind of weird these days in general. <laughs> okay. Point well, me. You know what I'm trying to say, though? Got it. They cannot move your will. Yes. They can, change, they can, they can move your heart, but they're not going to alter or change your will. You are the superior in the relationship. So... I, I'm glad, Sue, you're asking about this. We definitely would urge, you know, folks to have an active prayer life. It's the most difficult, one of the most difficult parts of my spiritual discipline or my spiritual walk. I have to make it like a, a discipline just to get myself to slow down enough to do it on a regular basis, okay? But you're moving the heart of God. If a bunch of us got together right now and prayed, we want Jesus to come back right now. Like millions of believers worldwide did this right now. We want Jesus to come back right now. Would that alter the will of God? Well, Jesus said, no one knows the day and the hour. So therefore, can you invoke God in that area? No, you cannot. It's not, your, it's, it's not my will, but your will be done. Does this make sense what we're talking, the distinction we're trying to draw so far? Yes. Yes. So then, what a, so far, are you okay with this? Oh, yeah, but I'm Catholic. So this is, I, okay. I, this is a very Protestant issue. Yes, it is. Issue. Yes, it is. By and large. I would, did, she doesn't say what she is. Does no. she, I don't think she does. No, but, but, but what she's asking is very, is, this is a very in, important distinction oh, yeah, for yes, us to draw. I, don't, I, I mean, let's I even, go to, the, let's even just, go to the verse she cites in Acts 12.5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Okay? So Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you guys are all going to drink from the same cup as me. Meaning you guys are all going to suffer as I have suffered. All right? In the Gospel of John, he says, except for the disciple that Jesus loved, that's John branding himself, all right? Except for the disciple that Jesus loved, the rest of you are going to perish and die, martyred as I was, right? Okay? So, here, here they pray for Peter while he was in prison to be let out of prison. He's let out of prison. But ultimately, what happens in Peter's life? How does it end? How does his life end? Badly martyred. Well, martyred. Not badly, brutally. Brutally. I, that, that's what I meant. Yes, he's crucified. Yes. And then according to, to uh, tradition, he requests to be crucified upside down because he is not worthy of following in his, save, in his, in his, in his Savior's footsteps by being crucified right side up. But whether you, whether you believe that tradition or not, and there is evidence for it outside of it, by the way, but whether you believe that or not, no one denies crucifixion is a brutal way to die no matter which direction your head is pointed. It's one of the worst ways we've ever invented to torture one another in the history of humankind. 
So they prayed for Peter to be released from prison. And that moved the heart of God, right? Yes. But did it alter the will of God? No. Ultimately, it was the will of God that Jesus' disciples, in order to demonstrate their faith to a watching world, that they would die daily, even to giving up their own lives, that they would drink from the same cup of suffering that Christ drank from, it did not alter the will of God that that would happen, did it? No. No. Now, a true disciple, what do they do in this situation? Pray for Peter to be released. But if this is the, mo- the moment that was, that, was, that was you were told of, that the hour is at hand for his ultimate suffering, th- then not my will, but your will be done. For the Lord giveth no. and the Lord taketh away. Aaron. Yeah, let me ask you, uh, I don't mean this to be a trick question. This is just meant to be iron sharpening iron here and uh, maybe a little bit contrarian. So was it God's will for Peter to be in jail? In that specific circumstance, I have no idea. That's so, okay, that I don't know. But, but here's what I do know. All things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. So even if it may not have been God's specific will for, for Peter to be imprisoned in that circumstance, since he is sovereign, he can still allow circumstances outside of his will, although I would argue nothing is outside of his will. It's just a matter of how God chooses in his sovereignty to exercise his will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which we don't know the answer to that. We're human beings. Okay, but he can take really bad stuff and use it for good. I look at my own life. One of the reasons I've been good at this and effective at this is because of the terrible way I was raised. I was raised in a household where I had to learn to overcome adversity, abuse. I didn't get a lot of positive reinforcement from my old man all the time. I had to learn to rely or to not be needy for approval from other people. We moved a lot. I went to tons of new schools on a given day. I didn't know if Dave was going to take us to Cedar Point, Disney World, or, or smack me around. And it was literally a flip of the coin. It was like living with freaking Harvey Two-Face, man. You didn't know. You know, whether you have the cool dad or, you know, the great Santini dad. Well, growing up that way at the time, I didn't understand it. I thought, what did I do to deserve this? But now that I get more of the picture as an adult, you know, what men use for evil, God used for good. And, And the not needing the approval of other people all the time, not being needy for affirmation and, and belonging and, and feeling like I'm part of the cool kids. I would have sold out or flamed out in this industry a long time ago, if not for the way that I was raised. Now, does that mean Dave is absolved for the abuse? No. But what it does mean is that all things work to, glory, to, to work together for the glory of God for those and for those called according to his purposes. He took those circumstances and in the work he has done in my life now many years later has redeemed them into, a, into something of purpose, right? Yeah. And this is where faith comes in. I don't think anything's outside of God's will. He is God. There's just a matter of what he permits to occur that, that may go against the heart of God. And then how he uses those circumstances later on. Now, this could get us into some very complicated lines of thought. Okay? Um, and, and, and some of them, frankly, are questions some of you would have. I would not entertain them in this form. I'm always going to tell you the truth. Okay? I, even though they're valid questions, I won't entertain them in this forum because they'll be too easy to be bastardized and used against us to get us taken off the air or banned from social media by, by scoffers and those sorts of things. But you can probably guess at what some of those things are and obvious questions. Does that mean God wanted this evil ruler or this person? And what does that mean? 
Okay. We could get into some areas and discussing those things, but I'm not, you know, there's no way to have that conversation in a way that won't be, I'm not dying on that hill. I I will, I will eventually die on a hill. I'm completely confident of that and I'm okay with it. It's just not going to be a dunghill. It's not going to be a stupid one. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And a good reminder, a good opportunity to remind, um, ourselves that our faith is by and large in in a lot of ways very paradoxical Mm -hmm. and paradoxical means that we can't always wrap our mind around it which gives us one conclusion things that we of god that we cannot wrap our mind around why is that it's because uh he is god and we're not if we don't have that down first there's no point in having any of these conversations whatsoever. But I did want to ask that one question because I knew that that was probably where that was going to go. Sure. And I don't want to leave any dangling parts. I, and I appreciate you asking that question. Let, let's go one more place where this is concerned, okay? When I, when I talk about fatalism in Islam, Islam has no concept of free will. Literally, everything is the direct will of Allah. Everything. Everything you do. The washing of your hand. And that's why it's so. It's it, that's why it's as ceremonial as it is. If you watch a weather forecast in the Islamic world, the the forecaster will say Inshallah, meaning if that's Arabic for if Allah wills it. When they when they text each other a lunch a lunch date, all right, and uh, tomorrow at twelve thirty, Inshallah, if Allah wills it. It is fatalistic in the extreme. Islam is everything is the now. That's why I use the phrase direct. Like, I don't think anything happens outside of the will of, of the one true living God. But I don't think everything is his direct will at the exact same time. In Islam, everything is the direct will of Allah. Everything is. There is no concept of free will. This is why we, are str- we, have, this is why we, we struggle to export self-government to this part of the world. How can you practice any form of self-government if you don't believe that you have any free will as a human being made in the image of God? That's going to be really hard for you to, 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 to import and then practice as a culture. Well, Steve, I thought you said last week that I didn't choose God of my own free will. You're mistaking, you're elevating free will. I didn't, that's, why, that's the other reason I wanted to have this conversation. So last week we said, do not put your free will on the same line with God's, right? This week... We're also saying, don't act as if you don't have any free will and you're not responsible at the exact same time. This goes to the paradoxical nature that Aaron was just addressing. God in his sovereignty granted you a level of freedom. My, my dog, Cap, my dog, Cap, it is not my will that he crap in my house in the wintertime. But he may do so. He may choose of his own free will to do so, even though I've made my will quite clear. See what I'm getting at here? Okay. So you have a free will. Your free will cannot supersede the will of God, however. Your free will is not an ultimate will. And, and, the, and the, the great fallacy of this, this has been debated within philosophical circles, including Christendom, for thousands of years. I think the entire debate is, is, is from the flawed premise. Because we often debate our free will like teenagers. Well, if I do this, will you still love me? If I, if I do this, will you still love me? Can I get away with this? It's almost as if, how much stuff can I do that God says is bad for me and still be okay doing 
without without angering God so much. Does that sound like a relationship of any integrity to you on any level whatsoever? Would you start your own marriage off with, you know, how many times can I cheat on my wife, you know, and and still have her consider me faithful? Of course, or or vice versa for that matter in the day and age we live today. Of course not. The, the point of the Christian life is for you to give up your will for God's, to see God's will as better than your own, to first of all have the freedom to do that because you're no longer enslaved by your own sin. And so God sends his spirit to come and live with you, come and live in you so that you can commune with him on this level. You can have a relationship with him on this level. There's no longer this barrier of your rebellion separating you from him. And then ultimately, as time goes on and that relationship grows, just as you grow closer to the friends that you spend more time with over the course of years, you grow closer to the spouse you spend more time with over the course of years. Same thing happens in this relationship. You grow closer to God. And then ultimately, for you to say, I'm giving up my will because your will is better than mine. I don't, have a, I, don't, I don't have a clue why Christians stand around arguing about their free will all the time. What is, why do we do this? We, our conferences, we are, this should, like the notion of debating the limits of human free will to me, I just find it totally anathema to Christianity. The, the, our conferences ought to be, and our books ought to be writing about, and our conference speakers ought to be talking about doing more of God's will. Now, how much of your own will you have? What part of uh, I die daily, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, the hope of glory. What part of all is offer my body up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? I mean, I don't, you know, this is a kind of an all or nothing proposition, ultimately. That, that doesn't mean it's easy for us to make it all or nothing. I'm not, I'm not talking about the struggle of getting there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea that I don't have to get there. That's, that's foreign to me. I don't understand that. I mean, Jesus is God incarnate. He sets his divinity aside to fulfill the debt for our sin. He sits there in the Garden of Gethsemane and, he, and, and sweating blood over the torture he knows he's about to endure. And, he's, and he ends it with, not my will, but your will be done. He doesn't pray, Father, give me, my, give me the power and my free will to choose to do this and be noble. That's not what he says. He, does, he says the opposite. Let me die to my humanity so I can do the will you have set out before me. Why we spend so much time arguing and debating with each other in, in, in Christendom about our free will. I, I can't imagine a debate less, more anathematic to, the, to, to, a, to the, a, a Christian walk than that. It, this is not about our own will. We gave up our will. When we recognized our will led us into sin and we repented and said, we give that will up. You come live in me. I, I suck at this. You do this. Because I'm not any good at it. Look at the mess I've made of my life and I've made of others in the process. Clean up in aisle nine forever, please. I'm terrible. That's the point, right? Yes. Isn't that the point of this? I mean, you, the reason, the, I mean, the, the reason Luther's preamble of his 95 theses essentially can be summed up with the term or the phrase, all of the Christian life is a life of repentance. The reason you guys reorder the mass every Sunday is a reminder of what? Our will blows chunk wads, right? Yeah. That's the point of this. So I don't, I don't under, if, if, and I wonder if this is largely Western, like, I don't know if Christians in like Malaysia 
sitting around debating free will. I don't know that, you know, like I would, I would imagine if you're a Christian, in answer. you know, in, in, in some Middle Eastern country, like if you're a Christian in Iran, you're probably not flirting with Pelagianism and you probably don't even know what that is. You don't, you don't live in a culture that even understands free will on any level whatsoever. So I wonder if this is a uniquely Western lament because, you know, freedom and individual autonomy is such a huge part of the zeitgeist for us as a, as a, as a, as a culture. But, but where do, where do our notions of freedom and individual autonomy come from? The idea that you're, you are free and, 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 and individual autonomatized from government because you're made in the image of God and government is not bigger than God and government cannot hold you to a standard higher than God. That's where your freedom and individual liberty comes from. It's not divorced from that. We have it in the West because we believe you're made in the image of God. That's, that's the, I, so I, this whole part of this whole thing, I get asked all the time, am I a five point Calvinist? Do I, am I a single predestinationist like Augustine was, or do I, am I, am I an Arminian? I don't understand any of this. I really don't. I mean, I understand what all these terms mean. That's not what I'm saying. I know what they all mean. I've studied them all. I don't understand why we care so much about what they mean. The whole process of this is to replace our own will with God's. Not to then go back and reverse engineer this. Yeah, but I, did, I, I had a role in this. I did this. I did that. Or I had no role in this. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't get that. Can someone help me understand well, why this some, is such a point of, of contention? Of course, some of it is tribalism, and they want to. They, you know, people want to want to know your labels. Or do you, uh, you know, uh, it's the doctor from Idiocracy. Why come you don't got a tattoo? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I would say let, let's let's give some benefit of the doubt. Now, the navel gazing, uh, what is our free will? That that type of continued debate. I don't think that's helpful. I will always say though, doctrine fleshed out. Uh, is as valuable as it helps you understand the mind of of God more, because your lo- you know uh, your love of God flows out of uh, your knowledge of God. The more you know of God, mm-hmm. you will increase in your love of God, and the more you will replace God's or the more God's will will replace your own will. So understanding doctrine and things like that is only helpful in uh, as much as it helps you understand and love God more by knowing God more. So that's well about said. the best that's about the that's best well said. case that I can Here, here's 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 where I would ultimately come down on this. Are you going to produce more fruit in your life spending more time trying to discern what God's will for your life is or debating the limits and merits of your own free will. What is more likely to produce good fruit in your life? What is more likely to make you the person you said you wanted to be when you gave your life to Christ in the first place? Which one? I think, I think the verdict on this one's pretty clear, all right? That the more you pursue God's will for your life, the more, the more good fruit you will produce. And that's my concern is the amount of emphasis we put on, our, on ourselves. I mean, the way we in the West have even reworded some of the parables in the Bible. It's the parable of the prodigal son. No, it's not. It's not about the prodigal son, guys. It's about the dad. It's about the dad who goes down to the gate and waits every day for the son to come back. That's not about the son. 
And you know why we do that? Because, you know, well, he chose to do bad stuff, had fun for a while, then it went bad. He still had the freedom to go back and, you know, was taken. That, that we, we have, we've like reversed the polarity. It's a cop out. Yeah. I mean, it's not about, the, the son's not the hero. The father is. The faithful father is, <laughs> that's the hero. So put your emphasis on, can we move the heart of God and, and then can we follow more of his will in our own lives? And boy, I, I need to do more of that myself, by the way. So let me, let me start that admonition with me. More in a moment. Whenever you have the opportunity to do business with uh, a company that uh, shares and fights for the same values as you, particularly in this environment today with corporate America aligning all too often against us, all right? So whenever you have the option to go the other way, please take advantage of it, especially when you don't have to accept a subpar product in the process. And that's where Patriot Mobile comes in, essentially get all the exact same nationwide coverage offered by the big boys in the mobile phone industry, except unlike those big boys, they give the money that you give to them to the causes and values that you believe in. In fact, they've donated a couple of millions of dollars uh, worth of of their profits in just the last couple of years towards those values and causes. And with uh, plans as low as $25 a month, What are you waiting for, especially with this new offer right now? Buy one line and get one line free for six months. That's right. Buy one line, get a second line for free for six months. Uh, And that's whether you want to keep your number or you want a new one or you want to keep your phone or buy a new one. Get the reliable 4G LTE nationwide service for as low as $25 a month. You get everywhere else with this special offer. Buy one line, get another line free for up to six months at PatriotMobile.com. But you need to go to PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. That's the promo code to get this incredible offer. All right. PatriotMobile.com slash Blaze. That's patriotmobile.com slash blaze. And now it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Indeed it is, because we need a, a, a little break from the demise, the fall, the incineration, destruction, ash heap of history that is uh, i'm strangely encouraged right now thank you on this show yes it's three non-political questions first question who's on your mount rushmore of underrated actors or actresses mount rushmore of underrated actors or actresses well based on yesterday's conversation i'm throwing robin williams on there okay okay so that would be number one let's all agree to that can we all put are we all gonna put robin williams on there yeah okay sure that That makes my job easier okay um (laughs) underrated 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 um man i'm putting james mcavoy on there do you think he's underrated because i think he's really good i do too that's why okay yeah all right 
I'm I'm fine with that. Carol Lombard. If we're gonna go really old school, I'm gonna go. With, I'm going Carol Lombard. I actually used to, uh, uh, we used to binge watch her films when I was in college, in the uh, early years of uh, AMC and Turner Classic Movies. And uh, so I'm gonna. So just to throw a name out there, and I'm looking for an actress and go back to like the golden age of Hollywood. I'm gonna throw Carol Lombard on there. So I'm okay with James McAvoy, Robin Williams, Carol Lombard. And I need a fourth. Who would be my fourth for underrated? You want to go while I think about that? Because I want to make this well, one count. And you I, might come up with a name I haven't thought of that I like. Well, no, I, I think the best way to approach these is there's, there's big names. It, it's too easy to pull, uh, you know, somebody who hasn't been in a bunch of stuff. I mean, that's one way you can go. But I, I think there's, like, the, I'm good, the name I have in my head, he's obviously incredibly popular, but I, I don't think... Many many people wouldn't say he's Tom Hanks, but I I just think he's fantastic in everything he does, and he shows great range. I think uh, Kevin Costner is oh, an, that's a pretty good is one. an incredibly underrated. See, this actor. is a good debate. Can someone who's been at some point in their career the most bankable star in Hollywood be considered an underrated actor yes. because of the star factor versus actor? I think of someone like, for example, Tom Cruise. I mean, if you look at the range of characters he's played from Born on the Fourth of July to the Vampire Lestat to all of the action, you know, heroes he's done. Um, I mean, that's that's it takes a lot of talent to to right. portray that range of characters. But would anybody consider him an underrated actor? Or do they just see him as a star? You know what I'm trying to say? I do. That's why I Is think that it's, why you're going with Costner? Yeah. Okay. That he did, you think his acting is better than just because there was a time that you know he was the most bankable star in Hollywood. I agreed. Yeah, and he I, isn't. But I think he's. I mean, he keeps now. He takes smaller films. He's the uh, if he is if he's in a role, he's it's more often than not he would be up for a best supporting actor, the best actor. But he's just he's just great. He's just solid. Okay, continue. All right, I'll entertain that one as a fourth. I'm not sure I see him as underrated, but I think you're underrated enough. Maybe is a good way of putting it. I'm not sure I see him underrated enough, but go ahead. Okay. Well, no, no, I need time to think. I took all I could do to come up with that one. <laughs> this, I, I am, I am. This That's is, my one. I gave you my one. This is my lowest quality segment. I readily admit that. I it just, uh, I want to, I want to try to be good at. And then I, yeah, exactly, exactly. I agree. I endorse that sentiment. Uh, who am I? Th- I'm like, what am I watching? You know right what I'm going to do? Hold on. I'm looking somebody up. Aaron, you go. All right. So Robin Williams. Uh, Robin Williams is on there, of course. Uh, I've got, you know what, guys? Let's just, I think Owen Wilson is an okay actor. What is guys? What is it with you and Owen Wilson? Because he's fun. I always go, wow, when I, when I watch him perform on screen. So that's, that's super cool. Um, I think, um, I think Mel Gibson also. Underrated. You think he's underrated? Yeah, yeah, I really do. I think he's an underrated actor. Uh, and then uh, my fourth uh, was James McAvoy. All right, I know who I'm going with. All right, you guys ready for this? Louis Guzman, that one Mexican dude. It was like he's like in every movie. Oh, 
I never and knew I his name. I, had to, I was just looking it up. I didn't know his name. I didn't want to put that one Mexican dude on my <laughs> on my Mount Rushmore. Okay, so it's Louis Guzman. I mean, dude was like in every movie yeah. for like ten years. He was literally in every movie for like ten that. years. There's all kinds of angles to take. Yes, here's I've got an I've got one now, and this this is a distinction. It goes to what we. He's just Puerto Rican, thinking. by the way. I just did the research. Uh, my bad. All right, so that one Puerto yeah, Rican yes. dude. Okay, that one guy. Are you right. sure you have his pronouns right too? Just to be clear, we got to be. Brad Pitt. I think viewed as just a good-looking guy, and when you put that against actor, which I, put him next to Ocean Eleven co-star George Clooney. I think Brad Pitt's a great actor. I think George Clooney is a fine actor. I think George Clooney as as a director and a producer is outstanding. But as a, I would not call George Clooney a great actor. I would agree. Uh, he's fine, yeah. but I I think Brad Pitt is underrated because I think he genuinely is a great actor. Okay. All right. Well done, guys. Okay. Uh, question number two. Now, this one, I need you to answer why and walk us through the entire process of why you arrive at this conclusion. Oh, boy. Which of the following three options of these, uh, of these, what I'm about to give you, do you think is most likely to bring about a global leaven, a level uh, extinction event? So these are neo, uh, neo science fiction options. Okay. Yellowstone supervolcano, asteroid impact, or first contact? Um, most likely. Most likely. And, and to give me the exact wording of, of what it's most likely to create again. And a global level extinction event. A global level extinction event of human beings? Um extinction so living things of living things okay all right because if you're to ask me about human beings i i don't think anything will because i don't i don't believe that's how history comes to a head neo science neo science but if we're just going to go with living things then i'll choose asteroid because it's happened once before already yeah that's why i would go with asteroid okay me too and i i i opened myself up in 2016 to the possibility that an unbiblical end to human history might occur. And I, I, put a, I pinned a lot of my hopes on Smod, the sweet meteor of death in 2016. But alas, on election day, was forced to walk into that polling booth nonetheless. Smod did not deliver us. So, you know, if you not help us now, Smod, I say screw you. You know, you so, see Smod show up every once in a while now these days. It's yeah, just it's, a little pathetic. So it is kind it's of pathetic. Disappointing. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, Smod's out there kind of, you know, doing, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Buffett uh, tune, yeah. you know, cover tunes. It's like, you know, get over yourself, bro. You had your chance. All right. You failed us. So uh, I don't believe any of those things will result in the end of human, ex- will result in human extinction, but I can foresee a, a meteoric event creating some form of extinction for living things because it's already ha- well we think it's happened once already in a, in american or in our world in planetary history same oh man i was hoping that would be like a science science fiction you'd give me a plot of something that would happen no nope. no nope, asteroid it's done it before um question number three what objectively was the best college football saturday ever in terms of the matchups and the games actually themselves. That I can remember? Yeah. Um, I can remember the Saturday. 2007 was a wild year, man. And 
that was the year we had like 10 unranked teams beat top five or top 10 teams. LSU won the national title that year with two losses. And I remember the Saturday, I want to say it was this, it was the, it was the Saturday after Thanksgiving and um, LSU lost at home in like quadruple overtime to Arkansas. Uh, West Virginia with Rich Rod was in the national championship game. If they beat Pitt as like a 25 or four touchdown favorite and, uh, and they lost. Um, and then I want to say UCLA upset Pete Carroll and USC. I want to say that like, like that all happened that weekend, if I remember right. Um, so I would say that Saturday would be one of them. I remember 1986, Michigan, Ohio State, because Jim Harbaugh had guaranteed the victory. That was an incredible game. And I was just starting to get emotionally invested. I was 13 years old, you know, so I was just starting to get emotionally invested. And so it's odd that I can remember like watching that entire game from, you know, well over 30 years ago. So that one would be up there. Um, 1997, when Michigan finished the undefeated season uh, and beating beating Ohio State, that was an incredible game. I remember that Saturday very well. And uh, watching the rest of the games that weekend. So I could remember quite a few of them. But 2007, my, that, if, if I have my memory that all those things happened that Saturday, that, that's about the craziest I can remember. Why did you ask a question that only he could possibly come close <laughs> to answering? Like, I, I have a hard enough time with the Mount... Like, what, objectively, an entire slate in all of... Yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember who played last weekend anymore. What's your name? You can't remember. I only. I had a couple. I only remembered one specific game. You know. Yeah, but that was like whole slate. Mm -hmm. That that was the premise. Yeah. Like I. I have no idea. I mean, I remember where I. It's that I remember where I was with my buddies coming back from Camp Randall, uh, night when um, watching the and I. I don't bring this up because it's Michigan, but the, the Michigan, Colorado, Michael Westbrook, the catch. I mean, I, stuff like that. I mean, I just, sure. rem- I remember the excitement of, oh my God, that okay, actually so, happened, you know, you know so, but, but I, let me give you the, you know what? I just thought my ultimate answer then there was the, it was, it was called judgment, judgment Saturday. I think is what it was called in 1997. It was a double header number, um, number two, Michigan or number two, Penn state hosting number four, Michigan, and number three, Florida State, hosted number five, North Carolina, when Mac Brown was still coaching there. And, and the buildup for that was huge. And then while that, and then, because that's one of my all-time favorite, it's in my top five all-time favorite Michigan games ever, is that, is that was the year we went into Happy Valley and Bino Cook said, just bring the band. We gave us no shot on game day. And we go in there, it was the worst loss Joe Paterno ever had uh, they're at Beaver Stadium, 34 to eight, nearly got shut out. Got a pity touchdown with Curtis Enos at the end and just rolled them. Well, while that game was going on, there was the crazy game. Number one, Nebraska was playing against Missouri. Then Scott Frost was the quarterback then. And he threw a ball that should have been intercepted and lost them the game. And it bounced off of Missouri players' hands and it landed on this white receivers. Davison was his name, I think. And he caught it like on his back or something. And Nebraska won that. And so this was all going on with all these top five teams all that day. 
and there was all kinds of buildup and everything to that. So I rem- I'm going to go with that Saturday, that one, 1997. I'm glad I could pull it out of you. Really, thank you. You're my muse right now. I appreciate that. Really, thank you. N- not my intention to 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 take this another direction, but it's it's got to be easy. It's tomorrow. This is the first time, and we. I guess you mean we this don't... Saturday. Tomorrow's Friday. Oh yeah, <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> he's, oh mercy, he's already gassed yeah. up. <laughs> he's already <laughs> opioid addicted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's tomorrow. Uh, no, it's it's this. He's Saturday, been pre-gassing. Easily. Now we don't know the quality of the match, but I can't. I have a hard time thinking that it, any of these games are going to be stinkers. This is the first time, right? In first the, time in the AP, AP poll era, era that two era. two games of eight no teams yeah, at the, our, in the same weekend. So four yeah, eight never no teams all playing each other. Yep. Uh, this weekend, plus some pretty intriguing undercard matchups: Iowa, Wisconsin, Iowa State. Uh, you know. Uh, Oklahoma here for those of us here in Iowa that that kind of matters and some other games as well so I think it's got to be this Saturday it's going to be a good day I love when he asks us these kinds of questions you and I are sitting there coming trying to think of can we remember stuff that happened 20 or 30 years ago and can, when he ha- whenever this always happens whenever he asks us some kind of all-time like question days ago. and you and I are like fumbling around in the dark trying to remember stuff and he's like oh man I remember what happened last week man I remember stuff that hasn't even yeah. happened yet. It's going to be great. Yeah, thanks for coming to my birthday party. I'm one minute old. He does this to us every time on these kinds of questions, doesn't he? Well, he, we're suckers. He's got us down. Do you do this on purpose, or is it just the fact you're a millennial? Uh, and yes. that's your frame of reference? Yes. Yes is the answer? Yes, is always the Good answer. Good luck with the pain this weekend. Yeah. All right, so final thoughts. We got about three minutes. What did we guys, uh, what, what, what did you learn here today? Aaron, what did you learn? Um, I, I would say kind of wrapping up that conversation that we had for Theology Thursday, I thought it was a good, a good conversation and, um, always remembering a couple of things, generally speaking, is that the knowledge of God, again, your knowledge, increasing in the knowledge of God leads to an outpouring of love of God if your motivations are pure. There are plenty of people, there are plenty of people that can give perfect Sunday school answers but have no fruit in their life whatsoever, which is, I think, probably exactly why when I brought that up, um, kind of a a contention to what you were saying about why do we have all these debates, why you went directly to fruit. Um, So, yes, um, when it comes to having these debates about free will, can we change the heart of God, can we change uh, the will of God? Um, always remember that at, that central to this is not whether or not we're right or wrong talking about these these issues. We we want to be we want to be theologically accurate, but that's not that shouldn't be our motivation. Our motivation should be understanding the heart of God, understanding the mind of God, because of our love of God, and therefore hopefully increasing our love of God through that. I know that sounds circuitous, but again, uh, a lot of things in our faith are paradoxical. Enjoyed Tim Carney's time here. You and uh, Steve and he basically agreed that Donald Trump is the Will Ferrell in old school. We're going streaking presidency. You know, there. I, you know, when you're in college and you're that frame of mind and you're an excellent beer bonger. I mean, that's it's been pretty fun. But it, in terms of what lasts, you know, hangovers, doubt, uh, scars, police records. You know, there's just there's not a lot of solid food there. There's not, but the fun memories are certainly better than the um, let's stand for nothing ever, lose every one of these ever, right? Yeah. Can you it, 
yeah, everything you just said is true, but is it not also true, which is bad, okay? But is it not also true that it's an upgrade over where this thing was going before, before he started streaking, right? This oh. was the lamest party ever until he, until he took his clothes off, right? Sure. I guess is what I'm trying to sure. say, right? Yeah, yeah. And this party was pretty lame, yeah. right? Now, can you see, until, since there doesn't appear to be any other alternative, it, the alternative is, if you, if you don't like the Will Ferrell presidency, we just go back to having a lame party. Can you see why people are like, dude, I oh, guess I'll yeah, ride out with absolutely. The, ride my hey, with this is a goofy bastard, right? That's kind of where we're at. Yes. All right, we're going to take the rest of the week off. We will see you again on Tuesday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.